0: And we're back for another episode of Start a Puzzle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch. From growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by Fullscale.io like do it do it
1: do it like
0: do it and we're back another episode of start a puzzle Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson hi Matt hey what's going on man well I was playing with my children and they said they wanted to play blocks and I said guys we have to start by learning the basics about blocks and then I remembered that we know Taylor Monks, who is the CEO and co founder of Basic Block. So I went to basicblock.io to learn more about his business and realized that I was chasing the wrong information because he is doing something completely different than building with children's blocks. So, I'm a little confused and I'm trying to find the right information. While I was on the internet, I also went to fullscale.io and learned more about how to build a soft, software team quickly and affordably, which happens to be the sponsor of today's episode of Startup Hustle. But with us today, as mentioned, Taylor Monks, who's the CEO and co founder of Basic Block. Go to basicblock.io so you can learn more about what they do. Why we talk all about that? Taylor, welcome to Startup Hustle.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me. I've been a long time listener, so I'm, I'm glad to finally um, be on the show. Yeah,
0: you were. You've been on our list of people that we would eventually invite when we got away from our reliance on the studio. Um, anyway, I want to get started. Just but so, Taylor, you're you. I've I have, uh, defined you as one of Nebraska's bright young startup founders and, uh, you know, you've come and visited us in Kansas city before you're a a very impressive guy. You have a great company that's going forward. Uh,
2: give us the backstory about how all this came to be. Oh man. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a long story, but I guess back in, you know, I've always been interested in blockchain, I guess, you know, and we don't really necessarily use that as ton now, um when i went to college in 2013 i was broke super broke just like everyone else um and uh ended up my dad lived in london so i ended up you know using cryptocurrency specifically bitcoin to you know for the core functionality of peer to peer money transfer fast forward through kind of my college career and got involved in startups got the opportunity to work in some pretty amazing companies overseas um some alumni ended up sponsoring that and then ended up kind of checking my bitcoin wallet in 2017 um, had about like sixty, seventy grand in there that I used to start Basic Block, and then kind of the rest is history after that. I mean, it was a long road, tons of miles, and trucking companies and truck drivers like inside their cabs, like basically hitchhiking. But uh, yeah, we're we're really excited and and happy to share more about what we're building and and more specifically the details of how we got here, which are which are wild.
0: Let's talk more about the problem that you solve and and how you do that to give a basic understanding of what
2: what it is that 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 you're doing. Yeah, so fundamentally, we solve a cash flow issue for trucking companies. Um, they don't get paid for thirty to ninety, sometimes one hundred and twenty days. So we kind of built. Yeah, it's wild. It's it's a it's wild that uh, um, they that they have to wait that long. Um, so we have funda- We kind of just built what I would call as a cross between Expensify and Dropbox. Um, so it's a document scanning solution that truck drivers use. Uh, they scan in all their receipts and their bills and their rate confirmations. Um, we do some OCR, NLP, and image detection on the background, actually read those documents and, and kind of form a freight bill. Uh, we then simultaneously take all those documents and put them to the back office um, in their transportation management systems, which are just like a CRM. Uh, and then we charge for that SaaS model, but then we actually fund the invoice on the backside. Um, and we take a percent of the invoice for actually funding it immediately. So we can fund a truck driver's invoice within four hours, five hours, um, depending on how busy we are, uh, rather than them waiting for the 90 or 120 days. Well, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a big deal to them. We've seen a lot of uh, people... Be interested in it, especially with kind of COVID going on and all those things. Um, people need their money quicker. Um, and the demand for truckers has just skyrocketed with everyone wiping out the stores. Uh, so we were really lucky that we kind of had this COVID proof business. In fact, that you could argue that it helped us close our seed round, um, which, was, which was kind of amazing.
0: I'm interested in learning about you're not a trucker and your dad wasn't either,
2: right? No, so I'm not at all. I have no, I have literally no background. I don't even have a friend in trucking.
0: How did you understand there was a problem worth solving here?
2: I mean, where did that even come from? Yeah, so back in um, 2018, so after I moved to London, I, I dropped out of college in 2017 after I made that money in Bitcoin. I moved to London. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. It was my mom was not pumped about it, um, but I, I ended up dropping out of college. I moved to London to kind of seclude myself and figure out what I was going to do. Um, come 2018, I I landed in Omaha, Nebraska, um, and my mom picked me up. At the time, I had just dropped out of college. I broke up with a long-term girlfriend. I turned down a ton of jobs at some Silicon Valley companies as a PM, and I, uh, my mom was pretty much screaming at me. Uh, and she was like, you just threw your life away. What are you going to do next? Like, what are you doing? You're moving into my basement. Um, and we were driving North out of Omaha and there's a bunch of trucking companies that just happen to be right by the airport North there. Um, so I literally just looked out the window and told her I'm going to work with trucks. Um, and she was like, you know, nothing about trucks. And I kind of just said, give me a year and I'll figure it out. Um, When you
1: say trucks, you mean like the big yellow ones? Because that's what my little kids do, too. When I see (laughs) them, they're like, the big construction
2: things. I'm going to play with those when I get older. Yeah, we mean like big semis. So like uh, the 18-wheelers that are driving down the interstate. So we had just had a bunch of those that were there, and it was just like, uh, yeah, it it just kind of happened. You know, I think, though, there was a bigger meaning to it than that. You know, when when I really stepped back and, like, started to research – I realized that the Midwest was like really good at a couple things. And I realized like we have really three niches that we can really build great companies in. Um, and a lot of people would argue that, but I feel very strongly about, and it's become almost a running joke now that I say, you know, the Nebraska is really good at three things and that's corn, college football and trucks. And, and we just happen to pick trucks. That's just kind of how it works.
0: This is right up your alley, Watson. This is the kind of business that you
1: love, isn't it? I do. I like these kinds of businesses that uh, are in the background, working a way that nobody knows exists.
0: Matt has a fascination with, and don't take this the wrong way, with what he calls boring businesses. Well, we call I, them unsexy. Yeah. Yeah, and well, sure, yeah, but uh, but in the you know, the, I don't know, we're probably around the three hundred and fifty up fiftieth episode of Start a Puzzle, and Matt seems to get a certain like vigor and glow around him when you get these, quote, boring businesses. No, that's not, I'm not saying the business is boring. You're doing some very interesting things. Obviously, it's like a fintech, a fintech slash logistics hybrid here. Now, the, the la, Taylor, the last time I saw you, you, you was... That was probably two years ago or, or was, or a year ago, perhaps you came down and visited the full scale suite. We did a interesting event that we called the startup roundup, uh, which was at a rodeo. So we went to a rodeo together at that point, you hadn't received any funding and you were there to potentially talk to us and other people and stuff like that. But I remember talking to you and didn't you have two businesses that were, didn't, was basic block born out of a different concept or you had a different business that was supporting it? I can't remember what the story was there, but you know, what, how did that come about? And are you still doing the first business? Did you split that into something? Am am I off there? Cause I feel like that was part of the origin story.
2: Yeah. So I was, I was originally at another startup prior. I was the first employee there. So kind of like in the end of 2017, probably what we probably met 2017 or maybe just in 20 at the end of 20. It would have been 2018. Yeah. Yeah. So I think at that time I was probably full-time at basic block. I think uh, um, I don't think I was doing anything different. I think come 2018, I was full focused and only on basic block. So I don't think I was had any side hustle. I know that um, at the time, probably when I was down there, I was doing Solarion studies. Um, so I was like getting injected with drugs in order to fund the company um, They're like they're like <laughs> they're like clinical research trials, I guess, is what you call them. Um, yeah. So I was I was we're doing. We're gonna
0: have, we're gonna go back and amend the raising capital episode to include uh, plasma transfusion and and blood donation. Matt, that's how you started all your businesses, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we were I mean, there the- were other illicit things I was doing that I don't want to be you know recorded talking about, but right. yeah. <laughs>
2: We were, we were, uh, we were doing, I think at the time, I think we were doing clinical research trials. So it's where they are first testing drugs on humans. We have like a spot in Lincoln called Solerion and they pay you like five grand to go there. Um, wow. and we would go, I would go and get injected hopefully with the placebo drug, not the real drug. Um, and that was like what was paying for pretty much most of my salary at the time while we that, had started up. Basic block.
1: Yeah. When you got to pay that server hosting bill every month, you got to go donate plasma. You got to go take weird meds. You got to be a guinea pig. Like, yeah, you just got to keep paying that server hosting bill.
2: Yeah, it was
0: fun now, though. Next time, next time we get a, a startup pitch um, and someone wants full <laughs> scale to invest in their business or we're giving away resource credits, I, that's a new question. Like, have you donated any type <laughs> of bodily fluid or been injected with anything else in order to raise capital? for your startup. If the answer is no, then you just don't want it that bad. Yeah. You haven't and capped out all the, your options yet. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to check that box, which actually- I think we should give 80% weight to going forward. Cause, cause, but I I'm kind of not kidding. I mean, that's, that's a question. Like how bad do you want it now? I don't know if I'm going to recommend or condone going and having experimental drugs, injected into you. But I will tell you, Taylor, when you left that event and I was talking to the guy that was representing investors there and you talked to him as well, we looked at each other and we said, this guy's going to do great. I don't know what, and you were still defining what it is you were doing, but we said, he's going to do great. And it was because we could tell that you had passion, that you wanted to do it and you stood out. And we were there in a room with a Ten or eleven other businesses that were vying for capital that were talking to us at full scale, and you know, since since we've seen you, we've invested over a million dollars in other businesses and. And, you know, so that standing out, I mean, and I think that's a, congrats on doing that. But what's one of the ways, so you ended, you end up raising capital and I think you started with a small amount, but I think it would be a very, I think it would be very interesting and useful if you could tell the story about how you, after, uh, well, you made it through the trials yeah. <laughs> um but how if you raise capital after that cuz cuz look we're here in Kansas City and people complain enough about trying to raise money for a startup in Kansas dude you're in Lincoln Nebraska now Nebraska no offense Nebraska cuz we love you but that is if, if Kansas City is on a metropolitan basis is less is like a not sexy market okay yeah, dude yeah. Lincoln And I mean, Omaha has Berkshire Hathaway. And if that wasn't there, people would be like, dude, where's Omaha? Yeah. And so talk about raising capital in a micro
2: market. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in 2018, Nebraska was dead last in in venture capital raise. Uh, I think we were the last state in the amount. And it was like less than like 5 million or something crazy you know, we always say that when huddle raises money, that's like when we jump up, like when huddle raises a bunch of money, because we are home and Lincoln is home to huddle, um, which is the largest software sports software provider, like in the planet. So when they rate, when they raise money, like our uptick goes really high, uh, similar probably to you guys in like C2FO, it just rocket ships when they, when they raise. Right. Um, and uh, and yeah. yeah, yeah. Those companies that just like are raising tons of money. Right. So, you know, for us, I think after I, after I, left that after i left the uh the roundup with you guys um you know we were we were a little bit on our last leg uh we were we we were burning money we had gotten a, a couple we had actually gotten companies to prepay us for software so we were in that build phase nice so companies sent us we cold i was cold calling and demoing high fidelity mockups um and companies were like paying for it so they're sending us checks in the mail I actually remember when the first company said yes, he's like, uh, yeah, where do I send payment? And I remember being on the phone and being like, "Uh, I don't know. You got to figure out how to receive payments." Yeah. I had never, I had never, I had never built a company that had ever received money from a client. So I had to like call my co-founder and be like, Hey, what do we do? And he's like QuickBooks. So like we, uh, anyway, we, we sold that software in that build phase. And then, you know, we were, we were desperate. I mean, we were, we were dying and it was bad. And we were doing clinical research trials and, I was emailing investors out in Silicon Valley and they were saying, you live in a secondary city, like whatever, whatever. Um, next thing you know, uh, I got connected to a guy named Tim Draper. He's the founder at Draper Associates and the Draper Venture Network. I mean, he's arguably one of the best investors of all time. Um, he's like a fourth generation, generation venture capitalist. I think he's got like 30 plus unicorns. Ended up being able to trade emails with him. And he offered me a full ride scholarship to his university out there. He's got like an entrepreneurship university called Draper University. Um, I didn't even have money to get there. So I, you know, quickly did a on study, got the enough money to pay for the ticket out there. And we didn't have enough money to actually get the ticket back. So I ended up leaving our team. So we had at the time a dev, we were working outsourced with the dev shop and my other co-founder, Brett Byman was like running the show there while the ship was sinking. I had enough money for a one-way ticket. And I remember leaving, um, and my mom was pretty much like, you know, the the sentiment and the family is pretty much come back with money or don't come back at all type of thing. Um, you know, we're going to Silicon Valley. This is my first time. Had a one way ticket there and had five weeks to live in basically uh, an, a hotel room um, and see what happened. I ended up being able to connect with tons of investors, and I was just like pitching every living second of my life. Um, at the very top of the list was a guy by the name of Jason Calacanis. Um, he was the early investor in Uber and. Wealthfront and data stack calm like you name it this guy has touched it i think statistically he's the best angel investor of all time um he was the top of the list and i was like i'm gonna raise money from this dude and it felt impossible and next thing you know like i connected with him on twitter and then we i met at his office and like a couple days later he's writing me a hundred k check and it was like we didn't it was it was it was the most incredible thing that's Ever happened to me, or happened to probably a company in Nebraska? I would say we were so early, um, and we came back with a check from one of the best angel investors of all time, which really catapulted our company and do just different level, um, which is incredible. No more drug trials. No, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I went like a, I think a year and a half without taking a paycheck, but after that, we, I was able to. It was actually kind of crazy. So when Jason invested in us, um, to say that people got greedy w- would be an understatement. Um, when the best investor, like on the planet, like angel investor on the planet writes you a check, like people, our team just was, was tearing apart. You know, my, my co-founder and I, Brett Byman, you know, we were just trying to like patch together this outsource dev team. Cause right. Cause they wanted to work with us and they wanted to be a part of the company. And we're like, well, you have to leave the dev shop. Cause you know, he doesn't want a dev team on the capital. He wants people. And then. You know, next thing you know, it just blew up in our face and we're in a lawsuit. And that $100,000 that uh, he invested in us, we basically lit on fire like that day. Um, And simultaneously, we were raising another like $550,000. And our our investors didn't walk. Like they were begging to take our money, even though we were during a lawsuit. And even though we had just released the product, we were going to have to completely rebuild the product and go back to zero. And we didn't even have a CTO at the time, we had no technical founder or no technical person on the team at all. Um, so yeah, it was a very interesting time that we kind of made it out of, and, and we were really lucky to find a, a our third co-founder, Corey Collins, right at the same time. Um, like he was, you know, he had a 22 month old and then he had, his wife was nine months pregnant with twins, and he was selling his company at the same time, and he just like, in 24 hours decided to become our CTO. and next thing you know, we fire everybody, we're in this lawsuit, basically light a hundred thousand dollars on fire. And we have this new kick ass CTO that is just like pumping out product. And it was, yeah, it was like, we were so close to dying. He, at the moment, he didn't, he knows that now, but at the time, you know, you, we couldn't tell Corey that we had to like, you know, smile
1: and wave. You know, what's so interesting is most startups that are successful have this sort of story.
2: Yeah. it's And it, it was actually crazy. Cause you know, imagine I'm a kid from Nebraska. Like I'm one of the earliest Jason has ever invested in. I just take his hundred grand. I'm like, things are awesome. Things are gonna be great. This is amazing. I go back to Nebraska. Like the next time I have to talk to him, I have to tell him that we're in a lawsuit, I'm about to lose a hundred thousand dollars. Like my mind in my mind I was like, Jason Calcans is gonna kill me. Like this guy is gonna murder me. And I remember when I got on the phone with him, I was like outside, like pacing back and forth on the phone with him. I said, Hey, like this is what happened. Like we we're basically gonna lose all this money. You know, the good news is we are raising and our investors are pumped up, but like, we're losing this 100 grand. And, and he just said, like, he was like, that's fine. Like, it happens. <laughs> like, he's like, we invested in you to figure yeah, it out. I, was gonna, I think I was gonna say the same. Yeah. It was like a really empowering moment, though, for me, because at the time, I think I was 24, um, or 23. So at the, that time, I was like, wow, like, okay, he trusts me. And this is not like I, what I thought it was going to be like, and, and it allowed me to make the decisions that I needed to make going forward that have gotten us to this point, for sure. Yeah,
0: I think that it, I, I'm curious. So was your concern just that that you might've blown the money? Was it that you blown the trust or was it the opportunity or a combination of all three of them?
2: I don't know. I think it was just all of them. You know, like when he goes to bat for you, like Jason's a beast on email, like, and on Slack, like he responds to everything immediately. And you just, I didn't want to burn the bridge with him because I knew how important he was um, to be with him. You know, we were one of the only companies, they wrote a check and then we came to the accelerator what happens is they generally write the check and you go a week later into the accelerator for us they wrote the check and then we didn't go back to the accelerator for about four or five months because we had to completely rebuild the product and we had to continue to go sell and figure out what we were doing um so yeah it was a it was it was a combination of all of those you know and just being like crap like you know they just trusted us and did something outside of what they normally never do and we just completely blew it um thank goodness we didn't though So how do you bounce back from
0: that? Um, Because, you know, anytime you have infighting and stuff like that, uh, it can be devastating, but it can also can be Darwinistic because sometimes in those situations, people are exiting the stage that might not have had the right intentions. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to ask you to talk about sensitive subjects, but after you get through the controversy, you pick up some confidence, you feel Better that your investors have your back. By the way, my first reaction was, hey man, these kind of the same as you were saying, these things happen. You don't ever ask for stuff like that. But really the story that is written after the bullshit is usually the best part of the story. So what what happened from that? And as and you know, here you are, you're what, 24, 25 as a CEO of a startup at that point is a little scary felt like you might have blown the opportunity um you know like oh god have i ruined my life or whatever but how'd you bounce back from that and how'd you become a stronger company and continue to raise more money despite having some controversy
2: yeah so you know that's a great question i think as far as the team it made us super it made us realize like what we looked for in a person joining the team so since then we we have not had a bad hire um ever so what, and, you look, what are you looking for now? Like well, I, Where did that change? I think that it's like a we thing, right? So what happened prior to that moment is a lot of people were, I, I'm the best at this. I'm the best at this. I'm the best, you know, salesperson. I'm the best developer. And at and a startup, it's, it is very we because everyone has to work together in order to solve a problem because that's what moves you further, regardless if it's sales and the developer has a thought on how to sell it or versus the lead sales guy that... Um, has a thought and can teach somebody else. So I think that we looked for a lot of we and a lot of people that bought into the mission that weren't necessarily here for the money and or the equity, but we're here like to, because, you know, almost God put us together on this planet to solve this one mission. It just happens to be basic block. So kind of after that moment, um, uh, you know, we obviously found Corey Collins, who was such, he was a wee guy. Like he was working for free You know, he was signing over all the stuff to us and our lawyers at that time were very protective, right? Because, you know, we had just gone through that lawsuit. We didn't want to go through it again where they had the code, right? He completely rebuilt it, shipped it. We weren't even paying him. It was pretty much like on a promise that he would come on as a co-founder. So he trusted us. We trusted him. And that really, that relationship catapulted us to get here. And at the same time, you know, it did give me the confidence to really grow into like, I guess, a CEO. Um, like grow into kind of that like put out fires at all costs, you know and and manage everybody's emotions because emotions were high. you know, with my other co-founder Brett, it was there was lots of tension, not between us, but lots of tension just between the whole situation, lots of stress. Um, so yeah, it was it was awesome. And then you know, of course, we came out of it. we raised like six hundred and fifty thousand dollars from some insane investors. Um, and that that was just like that gave us the capital to hire on another dev. Still stay lean, and then we ended up having to go to Silicon Valley to Jason's accelerator uh, at the end of the year. Like no, it was like November, I think, end of November or or beginning of November. I'm not really sure when it when it happened. Um, And yeah, that was that was a wild experience as as well. I mean, here we are now. I'm you know we've gone from a lawsuit that year to getting you know 650 grand and and, 675 grand, and people just being pumped up about us staying lean, getting an office. And then it's like the end of the year, I'm living in Silicon Valley Monday to Friday, and I'm living in Nebraska Saturday to Sunday on a plane every single day, raising venture capital, meeting the best investors in the world. Like here I am pitching in front of Roloth at, you know, Sequoia and all these other like people that you dream of being in, in that time frame, you know, like we're talking eight months. I go from my mom's basement to like full on in the moment, in the spotlight with the best investors in the world. It was it was you didn't. You almost didn't really have time to like enjoy it. You were, you were just kind of living it and 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 going because at the same time you're also trying to build the company, you know, which is which is really tough because uh, at the same you know company the investors are tracking us week over week, so you know I meet with them the first week and then you know six weeks later if the company's not growing I just can't just be pitching all the time. So it was a uh, it was ruthless, but it was also you know probably one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in my life.
0: I think that's, that's really interesting. I'd, I'd like to get a couple more insights from you. you talk about, all right, we recently did a episode about pitching investors. And we've tried to, you know, over the history of Startup Hustle, treat our feed as if it was a library. And, you know, raising capital is something that is such a hot topic for so many people we just did a an episode about pitching investors where we talked about everything from pitch deck to the presentation. What are a couple of things that you figured out pretty quickly or learned from being in front of rooms of Silicon Valley investors? Because let's just acknowledge the fact that at your age and where you're from and all that, that probably felt pretty intimidating at first. Did you get over that? What did you learn? And what could,
2: what advice could you give to someone that's gonna wants to do the same yeah so pitching was is in kind of my blood a little bit you know i was the back-to-back-to-back winner at our university pitch contest um you know that helped kick off a lot of my startup career and then when i was super broke living in my mom's basement i didn't often even have times i didn't have money to even put gas in my car to get to you know like a meeting i had to have so i was pitching every morning like shark tank style to my mom you know, my mom would be like, if I give you this $20, what percent of the company am I going to get? You know, and, you know, by the time you can explain, a lot of the times explain what you're doing to your mom, um, you've likely pivoted in those early stages. So we're constantly like explaining what's going on and the new things we're learning. Um, and you have to you have to understand that you're also explaining trucking to, you know, a 40 plus year old you know woman who has no idea about technology, who can hardly use her phone or doesn't want to get an iPhone and doesn't know a single thing about trucking. So here I am like learning those things at the very beginning of the company that then fast forward into Silicon Valley. And I'm able to do that, but on a much higher level within in a much like um, much, a huge base of knowledge at this point of all the things I've learned. Uh, so when I went there, you know, it was intimidating. You are in the room and every week Jason brings in 20 investors and they rank you, you know, you're there with your cohort and they rank you and they give out, place one, two, and three. And here we are from, you know, Nebraska, the only people from Nebraska, and I'm out there pitching against companies that are doing $250,000 in revenue a month, and we're doing zero, like we just launched our product. Um, in the first week, you know, we got, we got murdered, like we were last place. Um, and and we didn't really know how to tell our story. And we didn't know what a Silicon Valley investor looked like. Um, Jason workshopped our, our deck with me, Um, And then the week after that, we didn't see the bottom of the leaderboard again. We were either first or second every week. And we actually ended up winning the entire accelerator after. So the biggest advice is, you know, things that the things I learned, the biggest were were screens like to move. So show the product, show the demo of it moving, um, use animations, uh, and then tell a story. Uh, Give real names, use specific details matter. So we wouldn't say one of our customers, um, you know, does this? We'd say, you know, Morehouse, you know, Lisa Morehouse truck line in Omaha, Nebraska, one of our first customers does this, because investors like that stuff. And then at the end of the day, like, at, at the, the probably the biggest, the second biggest thing I learned besides telling the story and, and building a, a pretty and a gorgeous deck um, was that if investors are wrong, tell them they're wrong. Like people like to learn and investors love to learn. And oftentimes investors will ask you questions that seem like they know better than you. But the fact is, like, if you know, tell them they're wrong. You know, there's like, there's multiple times where I'm sitting across from a well, well, well known VC, and he's challenging me on a point And I know he's wrong, like, because I've seen the data, I've researched it, and I can, I can prove it to him. And then after that, it's the, that weird moment of like, butting heads, where so, with the other founders look at you, and they're like, you, you can't say that to them. But the reality is like, then he comes up to me after the pitch and he goes, Hey, I'd love to chat. I'd love to go for coffee. And next thing you know, I'm going for coffee. And we're talking about more of the specifics of the industry. Um, so my biggest advice is, you know, obviously tell a story, build a beautiful deck. And then and then when you answer questions and you're in a Q&A, if you're right, be right, be confident in whatever you're wrong, you're in. And if you're wrong, that's okay. Like you're not supposed to know everything. Otherwise you wouldn't be raising money. Let's let's go
0: back to the to the challenging part, and because um, I don't think that's done. Like, hey, fuck you, you're wrong. Yeah, and, no, because that isn't going to work. But no. at the same time, I think you're right. Uh, you know, it, I can't remember the phrase. It's like fortune favors the bold or something like that. But it, it keep in mind when you're in front of people that are hearing pitches all day, you got to stand out and they want to see people that are strong that are bold that are leaders that aren't afraid to speak up and right. at the full scale office we try to train our developers to do that we re- we refer to it as critical thinking like if you spot an, an error in an issue you have to know when to speak up you have to present the problem present the solution and be able to back it up so what was your approach and once again like i want to set i want to set the the uh the face, the, the table here, you're, you're 24 years old, you're newer to this and you're in front of a room of people that could be very intimidating. So how do you go about telling some guy in Silicon Valley that's been doing it for 15 years? Hey dude, you're wrong.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good question. I don't necessarily know. I think, um, I don't know if I was like born with that or, or what I, what some wild chip that I have on my shoulder that I'm able to sit in there and, and, and battle it out. Um, you know, I think, I think of a lot of investors, like, you know, I played, I played college football and and I was lucky enough to have my stepdad as my coach. So uh, I think of investors like coaches, um, oftentimes they have been in your shoes on the field, um, and they become coaches. They take all that knowledge and then they start teaching that to younger kids. But Sometimes those coaches aren't in the huddle. They're not actually in between the lines and they can't feel what the, the players are feeling inside that actual huddle. Um, so sometimes you have to come outside the huddle and tell your coach, this isn't the right player. This isn't the right move. You know, I feel this, I have this gut feeling. I have these um, insights that you don't because you're not in it day to day. So, so for me, it wasn't necessarily, um, and keep in mind, I had to do that with my dad, right? So like, you know, with that relationship with my dad, I built super strong relationship where, you know, if we lost a football game, I still had to see him at dinner that night or we won. I still am there. Right. So um, I'm not sure. I think ultimately it's like being it's being vulnerable and being candid. And and I think um, just leaning into who I was and that was myself not being afraid. I'm, I'm I'm not afraid. I've never been afraid. That's why we got here. You know, I think I, I just realized at, at, that investors didn't want somebody that was timid. They wanted somebody that was, you know, ready to go to war whenever they had to go to war. And and I treated it like that every single day. And and I love that though. You know, that was my style. A lot of our cohort would say that. You know, I I wear all black when I pitch, and I wear a bomber jacket. And like I'm here for like one thing, and that's like to win. Like I'm not here to do anything else. And I'm gonna answer the questions as as efficiently and as concisely as possible. Um, and I'm going to move on. Um, and I think, I don't know, it's like this weird thing. You always want to create FOMO with investors. And I think for me, it's like next man up. If they're going to say, no, I'm ready to go to the next and the next and the next and the next. And I think that mindset bleeds into an investor's general feelings. Like they can feel that. And, and, and they've seen so many good founders and so many great um, uh, companies that I think they generally look for for that type of stuff. I, I don't know, though. I don't. I don't know how how that happens or what in my mind made that happen. It just has kind of been that way for people. Speaking of
0: people that aren't afraid to tell you that you're wrong, Matt, what is your intake or what is your take on all of this? Cause I've, I've been in the room with and seen you challenge people. Um, but you, you back it up, but I, I'm curious what your take is on all this. Cause this has been one I I'm loving this episode because, We got this. is probably the the one of the more interesting, capital raise stories that we've had in a while.
1: Yeah, and I I think to to his point, it's um, some people just have it in their DNA and their personality, right? And um, I think investors like that. Like they like somebody who comes in that is confident, that has a clear vision, that's ready to fight for it, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think there's a fine line, but somewhere where where somebody's like, okay, this guy's just like a cocky asshole and he doesn't really know what the fuck he's doing. Like I agree. Then you go too, pa- too too far past the line, right? But I think investors like that. And um I think you're absolutely right about the the next man up part of it. Like it's a numbers game. And I've been through the capital raising part of it myself some and and it's a it's a full-time job, long battle, not something I would ever recommend anybody do. And the only way you survive it is that mentality. You just know, like, I got to get a hundred no's until I get the yes, and it takes a certain personality to grind through it and get up and do that song and dance a hundred times, knowing you're going to hear no a hundred times, and
2: but you always through it. I I always say, like, you know, people ask me like what that's like, and I'm like, I you, I don't think about the no, like I think about the yes, like that injection of like, like nirvana that you get when you get the yes is like the most incredible feeling in the entire world um and i think that that's like what I, I i i don't even i don't even like the no like doesn't even phase me it's like a bug on the windshield but like i know that i'm just chasing for a yes and i i i enjoy that i mean capital raising is something that i i obviously i i love to do and that's why I'm you are a freaking twisted yeah, I was going to say, words not, <laughs> words
0: not commonly spoken on the podcast equal, I love raising capital. Well, it's usually yeah. the exact opposite. It, but it I think people like, like cashing investment checks, but no one likes the process.
1: But I mean, it also sounds like you had, you know, a company that a lot of people were interested in, right? So yeah, that made it a little easier. Yeah, we had this really interesting niche. It's like right? The, it's like being the cute girl and the guys just sort of line up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you know, dude, he's got he had some other things though too though. Let's be realistic. Yeah. When you're when you're flying in from Lincoln, Nebraska and you're talking about your tech startup, like yeah. you you know it. You know how that goes. Yeah. I mean we yeah. deal with it from people looking down on Kansas City. They're like, like, do you have cows? Yeah, man, I'm a cattle farmer. That's why I'm here to talk to you about my software startup. You know, the, it's like, what the fuck?
2: You the know? beautiful so. part of that though is we leaned into it. Yeah. Like, my first line was like, my name's Taylor. I'm the CEO and co-founder of basic block and I'm from Nebraska and in Nebraska, we have three things and that's corn, college football and trucks. And every investor would be like, that makes sense. And like, it was like, that was the, that was the line. That's my opening line in every pitch. And, and, and an investor looks at that and they would laugh and they'd be like, that makes sense. Like, yeah, I get it.
1: You should have said big trucks.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, for real. And, and, you know it's just the that I liked it. Like I like you know, and then I think you realize, right? I am twenty five. um but then when when an investor sees me pitch and then they get me one on one, they realize like I think they realize very quickly that I might be twenty five, but we have an insane team who's much older than me. And at the same time, like I have a lot more knowledge than than most founders that I would like to think anyway. I mean, at least a lot lot of investors have told me that, you know, I've learned a lot and I've gone through a lot in an an early, early, you know, stage at the company that has gotten us here. And and that has forced me to grow a lot as well. So while I'm 25, I I don't necessarily think that um, I act that way. I've gone through enough that has progressed, you know, my mental age far beyond, far beyond like where I'm at just, you know, physically, I would say. Well, you know, one of the
0: impressions I got, and I lo- I went and looked back, it was uh, two years ago when I last saw you in person, and you know, there there are specific characteristics in some people that stand out, and I knew that you would be effective at selling, uh, and as well as raising capital, but it's still intimidating at the age, you know, at twenty five. I think that. Uh, people start to come into their own. You start to realize whether you want to settle for being a waiter or if you want to be a CEO of a company. And you kind of just, uh, prior to that age, uh, really not a whole lot that you've done is super constant, you know, is, is, is it matters. It's easy to tell yourself at that age that it does because I have been there at 25. I had then at that point dropped out of four colleges. Uh, I was, I had been a bouncer at a bar For three and a half years, and I had to decide if I wanted to do something with myself. And, you know, I got into sales and chased some stuff down. I, at that point, the concept of a startup now that was right around the time that the dot com uh, bubble had burst, which you might have been born right around that time or or shortly prior to that so it kind of tells you how old i am but i think that the scrappy part of anybody's existence is you you talk about like don't be afraid to to accentuate that part and like what are your superpowers and we've been having this discussion like I asked Matt the other day because we were wanting to create some training programs for our own company. So I went and asked all the members of our C-suite, what are you a subject matter expert at? And then also, what are your superpowers? And those are things that are real easy to create content around because if you're a subject matter expert, you need no preparation to have the discussion. Uh, what are your superpowers can, is a, is an interesting question because that tells me as the CEO at full scale, I need to align you with the things that you think you have exceptional ability for. So I'll ask that question now of you, Taylor, what are your superpowers? I think you've defined what many of them are, but I'd like to hear you actually give us a couple of them.
2: Well, I, I think that The first thing that I think would come to mind is I'm a great storyteller. So I'm able to tell our story and our vision, not only to, and I think that translates. So I think that my biggest superpower has got to be, I'm a a great storyteller. I can do that with investors. Um, And then the second thing is probably I'm a good recruiter. Like I know what I'm looking for and I, I understand the challenges that we have as a business and where we need to address them. And I can get somebody in the room to help us, you know, solve that problem. So I'd probably say those are my my two is I, I'm a good storyteller and I'm a good recruiter. Both probably go hand in hand really together. Um, I could tell you what I'm really not good at, but that's what our team is really good for. So, yeah, I, w- I would say I'm a, a good storyteller and a good recruiter is probably what um, uh, I would say. I think that's probably what my team would say, too, actually. You, Matt, do you want to know what one of my superpowers
0: is? Hmm dominating victories at mixtape and it's time because we haven't played for We oh. got three people yeah yeah and i'm inventing i'm inventing a card for this one okay so mixtapethegame.com available on ios and android i'm gonna read a scenario we're all gonna name a song that we think comes to mind we will vote you cannot vote for yourself do i have It'll to go to this
2: all. do i have to go to the website
0: you do it? not Oh, I'm going to read the scenario and I'm inventing one right now. What song is playing while you're driving your 18 wheeler full speed across Nebraska?
2: Do I, do I, is this where I get to answer
0: mine? Anybody can answer. This is where we're all suddenly, suddenly thinking. So if you, as a listener, smell something burning that is just us trying to figure out what our answers are. Watson's cheating. I can see him Googling
2: stuff. Mine's uh, got to be back in black um, ACDC for sure. Iron
0: I'm going Man, with so. Trucking by the Grateful Dead.
1: Mm.
2: That's a good one.
1: I got to go with Roland by Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're going to get Limp Biscuit banned for play, <laughs> kind of like Fuck You by CeeLo Green was banned. Okay, so we have DeCoursey with truck. The question was what song plays while you're driving your 18 wheeler full speed across the state of Nebraska? DeCourcy submits Truckin' by the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Taylor Monks submits Back in Black. And Watson, as usual, picks a Limp Biscuit song. And which one was it? Rolling rolling yeah roll roll okay all right. <laughs> oh man all right we got a vote i'm i i i am no long i want to let you know i'm no longer voting for limp biscuit submissions so taylor you've got my vote
2: i feel like i have to vote for the limp biscuit yeah
0: it is it is it is a, it is a, it is a uh, funny song i'll give you that well watson you what do you
1: got i'm gonna vote for taylor
0: Congratulations. Taylor Monks is the winner of this round of mixtape. Mixtape the, game, the game.com. Check out, download the app. It's fun. It's fun to play. You learn a lot about your friends and family when you play mixtape with them. Well, once again, with us today, we have Taylor Monks, the CEO and founder of Basic Block. You can learn more about them by going to BasicBlock.io. We end episodes of Startup Hustle when given the opportunity with what we call the Founders Freestyle taylor we talk about a lot of stuff during episodes this is your chance to either give advice clarify something that we might have missed it on um perhaps sing the song that you picked for mixtape it's a freestyle <laughs> go ahead and uh and let it roll
2: yeah no i think my biggest piece of advice for you know listeners is is to stick to the mission that you're on um there's a lot of things that go wrong and that's totally okay and Um, if you have this wild desire and this want to build something, you're, you're going to do it and, and you're going to do whatever it takes to get it done. And I think that, um, the more people that, you know, double down on that, and especially more people in the Midwest that, you know, don't be afraid to get on a plane to go raise capital or, or don't create an excuse just for your location. Um, it's really important. We can build really solid, incredible companies here in the Midwest and, and more kids my age, um, should try right now is especially the best time to do it when your age and you're, your costs are low and you don't have a family. So my, I guess my advice and my thoughts are just, um, you know, keep grinding it out and I'll, I'll keep listening, start a puzzle. And, and um, you know, hopefully who knows, maybe uh, when we, you know, hit the unicorn status, I'll come back and say hello.
1: We'll have you back before then. <laughs> Master Watson. Well, I want to say Taylor is the, uh, the type of human we need a lot more of around here and nebraska has got to be happy because now they have uh corn football trucks and technology right right. and they've got football technology and truck technology that's right um which is awesome but i mean i I think you're you know you don't know anything about trucking you're not a software developer right no i'm not no Never done this before, but you started a business and, and making it work. And I mean, living the American dream as an entrepreneur, and I love it. I love the, the scrappy part of it. And um, I, I think the big key here is almost every successful startup has some moment where they were almost totally doomed. Usually that moment happens a couple times, right? And the only reason you ever hear from these successful startups is they're the ones that actually survived those moments. Or a lot of them don't, right? Because because everybody runs through these moments for one reason or another. Problem with a founder, some legal agreement, patent dispute, whatever. Partner problem, whatever. Just all these problems, right? And so hopefully you guys have, have overcome. And uh, I love the story. So just keep fighting and bringing more to Nebraska. So, Thank you.
0: Now, now, before I close out this episode, once again, today's episode Start a Puzzle was brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. You can also check us out on Instagram at, at Start a Puzzle Podcast. Visit the Fullscale blog at Fullscale.io, where we publish five articles a week that are intended to help you learn how to run, start, or grow your business man i I think for my freestyle, I just think that I got this today's episode continually made me think how bad do you want it now, I can't recommend or condone that you go put yourself into medical experiments to raise money for your startup, but I will tell you that if you showed up for a pitch and you were telling me hey man i i i'm a I'm a lab rat, I don't like it but I'll do whatever it takes to win. That stands out. Like, I mean, seriously, that stands out. That tells me it, it, I've been pitching my mom. My mom makes me give a pitch because I, I want it so bad that I will do what it takes. I'm practicing, I'm focused and I'm from an, like the, the reason the mom thing matters is I think that kind of pedigree and that kind of upbringing instill hard work. Like, Hey, I'm not just giving you 20 bucks, sing for your supper, boy. And, you know, and, and, but that, that all, that's all part of the story. And I I really believe that there was a lot to be learned here when it came when it comes to raising capital and giving presentations and saying, Hey, look, this is what I do. This is what I'm going to do. Do you want to do this with me or should I move on to the next guy or, or gal, whoever? And that is a good mentality to take it, understanding that you're not going to immediately get what you want and hear yes from everybody you line up next to. That's just the way it goes. So I got to say, man, uh, Taylor, I'm really proud of you. I was two years ago. You really stood out when we met you. I knew you were going to be just fine. It's You, you guys are crushing it. Uh, keep it up, and uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to work because I clearly have a lot of stuff to catch up on. See you guys next time. Thank you. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.